This is Pickups, the podcast where we go back and unravel the greatest movies of all time, talk all things filmmaking. We are your host, Sean Harrison Jones. And I'm John Michael Powell. Unfortunately, Zach is not going to be with us today because Zach <laughs> took a job. He took a job as <laughs> uh, a professional actor. Uh, he's off a- a- acting in some movie. What a deadbeat. What a D. And, yeah, so we're here. Uh, we're holding up the ship, uh, keeping it afloat while he's gone. Today, we're going to be talking about quiz show yeah uh, the, the 1994 robert redford directed uh film it stars a whole all-star list of amazing actors who isn't in it is, is the better question. who isn't in it but uh not the least of which uh are ray fines john Turturro. they kind of buoy the ship uh of quiz show and it is a movie about the 1950s uh if you couldn't tell it's about quiz show games and it deals with dc corruption uh and in congressional hearings it's a fun little one but um before we get to that, let's uh, let's talk news, Sean. What are we? What's going on in the yeah. world of well, cinema? Martin cinema. Scorsese. It's Scorsese, right? I hear. I get confused because I hear DiCaprio in an interview say Scorsese, but then I, I think I watched an interview with Martin himself say Scorsese. My understanding is, if you consider yourself a film lover, mm-hmm. uh, it's Scorsese. Okay. Uh, okay. If you if you if you are. You know, just your average everyday Joe from Nebraska who happened to like Goodfellas, it's Scorsese. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's yeah. Scorsese. It's, okay. it's an elitist thing. It's an elitist wow. thing. Wow. So. Okay, well, I want to I want to join the elite ranks then. Okay, because so, I, okay. You know, so then you're Scorsese. I, I mean, I've got a deep-cut Scorsese, did it, uh, film is my favorite of his. The Aviator is my favorite Scorsese film. What? So, yeah. The Aviator is your favorite yeah. Scorsese movie? Yeah. How is The Aviator your favorite Scorsese movie? Oh, it's movie? so good. The way that he he uses the color schemes from the classic films as it's as it's taking place during that time. And then as the colors were changing in the films mm-hmm. of that time, it changes as the film progresses. It's so brilliant. It's just... That, it, it, it kind of... I'm not... That surprise to me, uh, the aviator is kind of Scorsese's uh, most. I don't say Scorsese, by the way, I say Scorsese, but God just for the shits it. and giggles, <laughs> I, I'm not an elitist, I say Scorsese, but uh, it, the aviator to me is his most Spielbergian film. It is, it, yeah, and you're a huge fan of Spielberg, I so am. I'm not, I'm not that surprised Guilty. that your favorite Scorsese movie. <sighs> you got is me here, the I am aviator. trying to be like my hero, JMP. I want to say Scorsese. I say Scorsese. Okay. It's tomato, tomato. He he said, so he wrote a an essay for Harper's Bazaar that was really about Fellini and his, mm. his passion for Fellini, but he was comparing the way that Fellini is treated to the way that uh, we have content. I'm going to put that in quotes, quote unquote content today. And uh, the quote I wanted to, to, to say that is kind of the button of it was he said, or he wrote, the art of cinema is being systematically devalued, sidelined, demeaned, and reduced to its lowest common denominator, content. Um, mm. he argued, as, in the, as, in, as in the moniker, the moniker that we all throw around these days. Yes. When we talk about something, labeling it content is actually demeaning the art form. Is yeah. that is that right, 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 and he's saying it's it's now covering 
everything that has come before and everything that's coming after. So the quote that the, the quote goes on a little bit further. He says, content became a, a, a business term for all moving images, a David Lean movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl commercial, a superhero mm. sequel, a series episode. It was linked, of course, not to the theatrical experience, but to home viewing on the streaming platforms that have come to overtake the movie going experience, just as Amazon overtook physical stores. Now, I, I really want to hear what you think. Um, off the top, I my condensed uh, opinion is that I I agree with it to a degree, and I and I disagree. I agree in that I don't think that the you know he he was primarily writing about a lot of other filmmakers that he has looked up to and tried to you know celebrate the work of through that through the foundation that he that he's run for a long time. Certain filmmakers in their works like them are kind of being forgotten and sidelined and, and just, you know, and I, maybe that's just the way that as time rolls along, that's what history does to you as you get slowly forgotten. And I'm kind of Mm. bummed that, that they're, that they seem to be getting overshadowed by like the, the mass, amount of content we have coming out but but at the same time where i disagree is i think you have to adapt you know i mean when talkies came out i'm glad that they adapted then i'm glad that we have sound film now you know i love silent films i'm always gonna you know admire chaplin and, and keaton and harold lloyd but i i have a preference for hearing my characters talk um Sure. We adapt, you know, they adapted back then. I think we have to adapt now because a good point that I want to make, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, is right now I can get on my TV, on my Roku, or even on the internet, and I could find almost anything. And it's like right. if we didn't have these streaming capabilities, there'd be so much work that you couldn't find, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that that's a positive. Not to mention, you know, uh, guys like me have the means to uh, put my work out there in a way that that right. maybe I couldn't, you know, 20 to 30 years ago. It definitely couldn't 20 to 30 years ago. So I don't know, man. I, I, I see I – see, I don't mean to cop out, but I see both sides of it. Yeah, it, well, th- there's nothing wrong with seeing both sides of, of an argument. Yeah. And, and we are obviously still trying to figure out how to embrace and evolve alongside of streaming services. They have – probably been the largest technological innovation for Hollywood since maybe color. I don't nothing. Let's put it this way. Nothing has come along since the advent of the theatrical experience to change that. So this is the first thing that has come along in the history of cinema that has changed the way we distribute films. Right. Uh, that's not true. I mean, DVD, Blu-rays, the VHS was a landmark moment. So maybe the VHS is a good example mm-hmm. because the VHS came along and suddenly people could record their own movies off TV. And that was a that was a huge, huge paradigm shift for, for Hollywood. And, you know, you had those FBI warnings on the front of VHSs that said, don't copy this or you're going to go to jail. Uh, you know, so there are a few moments where you can look back in, in Hollywood's history. And I'm going to I'm going to emphasize history because I, I think it's an important thing to discuss here and it, but there are moments in, in in Hollywood history that you can go back and look at as uh, kind of you know um, analogous to what we're going through right now and and I think with 
the advent of streaming services, you've you've also got, you know, an, uh, an important thing here is you you've got CEOs and you've got creative curators. That's another big word here is curation, because what Scorsese is uh, is bringing up here has a lot to do with curation and 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 the 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 line between art and commerce, right? That's what he's talking about, and you know. CEOs and the in the in the in the the curators at places like Netflix are choosing what content they are showing you. The model that Netflix has chosen is content over quality. You know the you know the phrase quality versus content. That's kind of what Scorsese and, and probably why Scorsese is feeling this way. Uh, Scorsese, excuse me, uh, is feeling this way <laughs> because he's looking back at. The directors that inspired him. I mean, when you talk about Bergman, you talk about Fellini, we're talking about artists, right? People consider those filmmakers auteurs. They are some of the uh, the forerunners of the auteur system, right? And this really, what we're ignoring here in the bigger conversation is that we should say that streaming surface services did not evolve in a vacuum. The internet changed the world. And so the internet came along and changed everything suddenly everybody had a mouse and they could click on their computer and connect to anyone online and you know clicks became king we live in a world where mouse clicks are king that's why you've got clickbait headlines and you've got a media system that is revolved around minute tiniest amount of attention you know from its viewers so we used to rely on box office, yeah. right? Yeah. You needed so many people to go buy tickets to go see Jurassic Park on opening night. Mm-hmm. They spent, you know, $150 million on the movie. It's got to make X. There was an algorithm. It made perfect sense, right? We had a system. Not a perfect system, but we had a system. Now, ticket sales don't mean shit. Ticket sales, you know what, you know what matters? Subscriptions. Yeah. And, and do, you know, do you subscribe to Netflix? When you subscribe to Netflix, are you subscribing to Ozark? No, you're not subscribing Mm-mm. to Ozark. You're subscribing to Ozark. You're subscribing to Dear White People. Mm-hmm. You're subscribing to Emily in Paris. You're subscribing to everything. Mm-hmm. So the result of that is content is not, I should flip that, quality yeah. is not right. as important as content yeah. because the more little thumbnails that Netflix can put on its home screen that look exciting and have different faces of actors the more likely they're going to retain subscriptions. And that's their model. So now Scorsese's not wrong. He's right. And you you made me think of, of, of another point that I always forget about, which is I think you're right. I think it is a double-edged sword. And where I always get sad uh, is I think, you know, and I, I think this is this is maybe a hot take, but I think because of the extraordinary amount of content that you're talking about anybody Mm. and everybody can just put something out i think it's kind of squandered the word talent i don't think Mm. i don't think i think i think now everybody's talented i think well i want to go i i want to go back and 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 point out and this is maybe me because you i i said earlier i emphasized the word history and it i think look scorsese is a film historian yeah the guy knows cinema backwards and forwards and from my vantage point which is certainly not the same as Scorsese's vantage point. I'm going to flip back and forth between Scorsese and Scorsese just to I piss like everybody it. off. Yeah, it's good. But um, me too. From my vantage point as a filmmaker, you know, making you know mid mid ranged budget things, and you know, certainly I'm not working at the level of, of Scorsese. Um, 
But from my vantage point, I, I don't know that many executive level people, and I have a lot of friends who are mm-hmm. at that executive mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. who know the history of cinema. No, fuck no. People like Scorsese um, <laughs> are, they're historians. And yeah. it's very, very, very important, I think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm biased and I think Scorsese would agree with me, that it's really, really important to know your film history if I you're agree. going to going to make films. And the executives at Netflix who are choosing content, they don't give a shit about film history. No. And and I'm not blaming them for that. That's the world we live in and and you know, that's the model of the business we work in. I think I've certainly talked to older, you know, friends of mine who've been in the industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when it happened. This the Scorsese's bringing up a huge conversation, not just about art and film, but American economics as a whole, because our country is, our economics in this country have just changed. Our business practices have changed somewhere around, I think the late seventies or early eighties. Maybe it was just the eighties in general, just things changed. I mean, Mm -hmm. you had Hollywood blockbusters that became a thing. Suddenly movies were making bazillions of dollars, you know? Uh, And then, the old guard of Hollywood who back in the day, from what I understand, and this is me maybe, you know, painting with a broad brush, but a lot of the executives were, you know, the sons and daughters of of filmmakers from the, the golden era, from 30s and 40s and 50s, who had grown up in Hollywood and they had lived and breathed the history of Hollywood. And there was there was just a different sense of, I don't know, respect for the art form. Yeah. And and then suddenly you started seeing Wall Street executives Mm -hmm. come in and and get into Hollywood and and, and start financing movies through VC and venture capitalists who live all over the world. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd have Chinese investors coming in to to invest in a... And the whole economics of the model changed. And that's nobody's fault. That's just the evolution of our, our 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 world. Right. And that trickles down to the way that Netflix does business because Netflix lives in a modern world, uh, one that is... She's you know, a modern in, girl. Uh, she's a modern girl in a modern economic system and in a world that has the internet and relies on, you know, people that have the attention span of a gnat. Yeah. And, and Scorsese it came up in a world that took just a little bit more thought. You had to work a little bit harder to find the movie you wanted to to cultivate a, a list of movies that you considered your favorites. And I don't know. I feel I'm I'm sounding like the old man now. I, no, I, I'm not, obviously no. not as old as Scorsese, but like I feel like research culture has changed. No. The way you research things have gone away. And now we we click on Wikipedia and and you read a headline and you go, oh okay, yeah, sure. The you know the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, I get it. It was the it's the headline you read on the Wikipedia page, and then suddenly you understand the Battle of the Bulge. I I tend to agree with Scorsese. I uh, oh I do too. You know I do too. I, I think I think we do value curators these days uh you know when i say mainstream curators value content over quality and that's also the reason why curation is so important like having martin scorsese put out a list of his top 15 films is very valuable uh you know to because scorsese has a breadth of film history knowledge if scorsese was running netflix holy shit man 
that would be a, like Scorsese should have his own streaming service. <clears throat> that well, I mean, it's like that's why I love know. the Criterion Channel so much. I mean, sure, because it's carefully curated. It, it, I don't know. It just has a different level of respect. I think. Sure, sure. Well, and then the question becomes, you know, Scorsese is how old? He's in his eighties now. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish he could be around forever, but he's not going to be around forever. Right. So when the Scorsese's, you know, pass away. Who's left in the wake of that to take up the helm of curating, you know? And, know. and so, like, I the know. question becomes: the question becomes in twenty, thirty years from now, when Netflix has become, you know, the dominant. I could Netflix is already the dominant voice right. of, of of media curation. You know, is there going to be a world where the content just becomes so? I don't know. Uh, so click driven and analytic driven yeah. that uh, it ceases to resemble anything that we we would call anything that our generation would recognize as art. You know? God, you're telling me. I mean, that you know, there's there are people out there theorizing that what's really going to happen with movie theaters is Amazon will own some and they'll just show Amazon films and Netflix will own some and they'll just, you know, I have no idea. I mean, I, I do. Well, okay. Good point. If you do anything about your film history, which most filmmakers I'm, I'm guessing don't, don't know right. a thing about film history, then you would know that this goes back to mm-hmm. uh, vertical integration mm-hmm. and the conversation. And this was, this just frustrates me, but like this is vertical integration all over again. Yeah. And if you don't know what that is, and you're a filmmaker, go look it up. And after you get done, you you know, after you finish reading about vertical integration, keep reading about film. Have history you read because, those? Have you read those theories? Did you see those? Uh, I, no, I've certainly heard those theories, yeah. and and yeah, no, that's that's widely speculated that Amazon is in the market to buy theaters, and and it's only a matter of time. I mean. We have these little tiny laws called antitrust laws that prevent monopolies. And, you know, corporations have become more and more powerful. And those laws have seemingly become less and less important. And I don't know what else to do with my life. So I'm going to I'm just going to ride the wave and I'm going to try to I'm going to try to change with the times. And, you know, uh I, I got into this business wanting to make movies like Scorsese. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I that's probably not going to happen for me. And, um, you know, movies uh, well, are just going to be different. Uh, well, I was, gonna, I was just about to say, I don't think that has to do with your, you know, insane talent or, you know, I, I think... I think it's just changed. I think I don't think changed. I don't think I don't think there will be another Scors- Scorsese. You, you know what I mean? Like I think totally. I think to your point I think I think the the industry that you and I got into or wanted to get into to make films within I don't think is going to is going to be the same ever again. Nope. I agree. I don't think so. And I think it's, you know, skate or die, bro. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's enough uh, bullshit from us. Let's just uh, let's roll the conversation, right, Sean? About Quizzo. Yeah, just, let's hit that Geritol um, good time. Hit that Geritol good times. And luckily, Zach was with us for this conversation. So I do miss him. Everybody out there listening, you'll get your Zach fix. You'll get here. your Zachy Ray back. Uh, right now, this is our conversation about Quizzo. 
and welcome back to another episode of Pickups, the podcast where three fools wax philosophical on movies you forgot about. This episode is brought to you by Geritol. Geritol, a substance that nobody knows what the hell it is, but at 99 cents a bottle, who can pass it up? Take it away, fellas! Quiz Show chronicles the true life scandal of the 1950s trivia show 21, where the show was found to be rigging the outcome of all their contests. This is a true story. Specifically, the film follows the rise and the fall of popular contestant Charles Van Doren, played by Ray Fiennes, um, after yeah after the fixed loss of Herb Stemple, who's played by John Turturro, and then leads to a subsequent congressional hearing and an investigation into uh, the network's involvement into the rigging of these this show, and that's essentially the drama of the movie. This is the most Hollywood movie we, we've we've watched. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, Hollywood Pictures presents. It's it was right. distributed by fucking Hollywood Pictures. That's right. It's a good point. <laughs> and for those that don't know, it was directed by the very Robert Redford, the very talented Robert Sundance kid, Robert Redford. Uh, and this was his probably like, what it was his fourth or fifth movie, right? That he had directed at the time because he directed yeah, Ordinary People was the Ordinary first. People for sure. That's a standout. What else? He did uh, the Brad Pitt one. That River Runs Through. River it. Runs Through. It. River That's Runs right. Through, which is terrible. Is River Runs Through it terrible? Yeah. I don't remember it. I mean, I, I remember seeing it. I, I saw it a couple years ago, and I had tons of problems with it. Point being, Robert Redford is not at this point when he's made Quiz Show. He is a veteran director, not not, not just the pretty boy actor that everybody knows as mm-hmm. as the Sundance Kid. So he's he's he knows what he's doing at this point. Uh, I, yeah. I think his approach to the movie is very 1950s, down to the camera yeah, work, sure down does. to the blocking, yeah. the rhythm of the movie. It just felt... It's like a textbook. I'm, I'm kind of sensing you guys really didn't like it. I'm, I'm kind of curious. But... No, no, no. It, it felt like a very, um, a very comfortable film. Yeah. It felt like a very yeah. right. controlled, right. Uh, a very um, mannered, you know... I would say this movie doesn't have too many edges to it. Yeah. Who who wrote it? Paul Atan, Atancio. He also wrote uh, Donnie Brasco. Oh, yeah. Leather jackets. Yeah. <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Donnie Brasco in this is my exact same problem, which I guess is what I'm saying. Like when you're saying there's no edges on this film, it's the, the text. The screenplay is like a perfect fucking screenplay in like what it's supposed to do. It's, it's um, definitely hitting the, the marks. I mean, it is hitting. Right. Although I'll give the writing credit, and Sean's making a face too, so I can tell he's got something to say on this. But I think. For better or worse, the movie does shade out a little bit outside the lines of conventional structure a bit. The first mm-hmm. 45 minutes of the movie, you're watching the game show, right? You're just embedded yeah. in this game show. And then after 45 minutes, the movie changes into an investigation by Rob Morrow as yeah. he, doing an impression of Columbo. Well, and and, and I, I have to cut you off just because that was the face I was making is those 45 minutes or what I loved the most about the Agreed. movie. And then it totally mm. Agreed. I, it totally, I agree. Once it became about the legal proceedings and yeah. I, I, it just, com- those first 30 to 40 minutes, I was riveted. I mean, I thought he built, I thought Redford built the tension really well. And then it just, once he gave that on the waterfront answer and it was over, it just, I don't know, it just never, 
had my attention again the same way. I think I felt the same way. I think I did. I certainly know that in the first 45 minutes where we're setting up the characters and the situation and 21 as a show, the dynamic of the show, the way Redford shot those moments were so much more engaging and cinematic. Yeah. I mean, let's just be mm-hmm. honest. The dynamic of a television show is way more interesting than the dynamic of a congressional hearing. Mm. We've seen the FBI agent doing the investigation a million times. We, right. We've never um, seen the 21 game show framed like right. that. Right. And this movie came out in 1994. And so it's, it's important to put mm-hmm. it into the context of the time. But I think that's true even of the time. I mean, another, yeah. speaking of a Robert Redford movie, but like, all the president's men is a perfect example of an investigation movie, right? A DC investigation movie. And it's like, that came out in what? 1976 ish. I think 1976. I mean, by this time, 1994 congrats, you know, FBI investigations, there's a plethora of movies you can point to where that that's become a storyline. And he's coloring those first 45 minutes and throughout the movie with pretty solid fucking direction. I don't think there's, like, uh, here's, I, I mean, don't think there's a moment of bad direction in this entire movie. Yeah. The, the only thing I could think to complain about, and we should talk about the cast because this cast is insane. So good. So good. John Turturro, Rob Morrow. And if you don't know Rob Morrow's name, most people know him from the the lead character from Northern Exposure. I think that's what he's mostly yeah. known for. Um, yeah. Ray Fiennes goes without saying. David Paymer might not be a name you know, but I promise you, you're going to recognize a lot of these faces I'm about to name. Paul Schofield, Hank Azaria, Christopher McDonald, a.k.a. Shooter McGavin, <laughs> Griffin Dunn, Mira Sorvino, Timothy Busfield, a.k.a. Field of Dreams and West Wing. Uh, the director, Barry Levinson, shows up in this movie. Ethan Hawke has a cameo somewhere in this movie. Callista Flott, Scorsese, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese yeah. is Did in you guys the- catch this? Like, like co- coincidentally, Michael Ballhouse shot this movie. Michael Ballhouse also shot After Hours, which Scorsese directed and Griffin Dunn starred in. Oh, wow. So how crazy is that? Basically what happened is clearly Robert Redford called all of his great acting friends and and all the people who he really loved. And who's going to say no to Robert Redford when, they, you know. And a really solid script. That there's characters on the page that are really rich, but you drop in where this movie really works. And I don't think Redford's, he's failed me in my opinion in the past. And he didn't hear because of the expert actors. What you have Turturro doing is unbelievable. I think so too. I, mean, what- I, I, I honestly think John Turturro steals this movie. But I, I read a couple reviews that really complained about Rob Morrow and John Turturro's kind of heightened performances compared to all mm-hmm. the other performances being very... They were my favorite performances. I, they were my per- yeah. favorite performances too. And I think, honestly, those two characters are a great a great point to bring up because I think that's what the rest of the movie was lacking is a little bit of wackiness. Mm. We're talking about 1994. I mean, it's it, we'd be you know remiss not to bring up the fact that that's the year Pulp Fiction came out. I feel like... Quentin Tarantino and, and Pulp Fiction was was a great example of energetic, quirky, left of center characters that just had a lot of energy. And I think it, when you compare and contrast the two movies, what you're missing from from Quiz Show is a little bit of energy. And Totoro and and, and Rob Morrow are the only two characters who really bring any of that quirky energy. Quiz Show lost my my interest and my attention. Like by the time we got to that scene. Where uh, uh, Fines shows up at his at his you know his Connecticut home in the middle of the night and he has that talk with his dad. His transatlantic like, accent. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you know, like I I really you know I really did like the scene when when in the in the classroom. Mm. I loved that scene when he was finally telling his father the truth. Yeah. 
But that other scene, I just like scenes like that. I just I wanted to clip along faster. I was just like, dude, you're losing. You 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 got these great actors, and you're just like, I don't know. There was I just felt like they were milking it a little bit too much with with the with the pausing and the. I've, did you feel that way? I hundred percent did feel that way, and I found myself questioning if that was a re- a result of me being a film watcher in twenty twenty. Mm. And you know, we've had. A, I mean, cinema's changed since nineteen ninety four. I, I, it's somewhere in the middle of this movie. I was like, huh, what it, would it be like if the Safdie brothers directed this movie? Yeah. It just, a movie like this wouldn't yeah. stand up today, you know, if it was released. And, and by the way, the movie didn't stand, the movie didn't make a, mo- a ton of money when it came out in 1994. It didn't do well with audiences. And I think it did mm. great with critics. Critics loved this movie. It did very well. But audiences did not go to see this movie. It did not make money. There was nothing really electric about this movie that would make somebody go tell their friend to go watch this movie. Yeah. And I think that the only reason why Taturo stuck out to me was what you said was there was a little bit, um, because because their voices, yeah, their voice there was, choices, there was, there, there, and, and it's like when you can pull that off, when you can pull yeah, off somebody yeah. complete, when you've disappeared into another human being, and you actually pull it off, and it's convincing. That guy has done such yeah. a good job for himself in the body he exists in. That's my point. It's like Totoro's probably one of the best fucking living actors. Absolutely, but like I he's agree. he's pinched into a corner because of the way he looks, and so we're gonna paint him and all of these you know characters that he had. But the guy's a fucking genius yeah he really is i think it's kind of a punk rock i think it's kind of punk rock of redford a to take on the entertainment business right that's what this this movie Mm. is doing it's taking on the entertainment business i mean for those that don't know this is a movie about truth it's very very relevant today it's it's a movie about oh yeah that's about how we put our faith in institutions and, you know, those that faith being shattered. I mean, this takes place in 1969, so a lot of that is happening. You're talking about Nixon, Vietnam. This is a very, yeah. you know, uh, catalytic kind of time in American history where, you know, uh, the American viewer of television puts its faith in TV and believes in TV. And yeah. this is a movie yeah. about shattering that faith and finding out that the institution, in this case, NBC, is completely fabricating this entire show and lying to the audience. What this movie does that most movies do not do in Hollywood mm-hmm. is it talks about racism in, in mm-hmm. a, a, a type of racism in America that rarely gets talked about. Most of the times right. in Hollywood movies, the racism that is talked about is obviously black and white, right? Because right. that's our but history. But not anti-Semitism. You yeah. rarely see a yeah. movie that talks about the subtle racism we have against Jewish people in this country. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's really yeah. interesting that Totoro, and it's part of the reason it works so well, Totoro is so fucking good in that role. Mm-hmm. You know, he's at home in his little apartment. Van Dorn's living in Connecticut, you know, playing tennis in his backyard. You see the social class differences. And, you know, in the end, there's this big congressional hearing, and Van Dorn, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler alert, so close your ears, but, you know, Van Dorn comes clean that he's cheated. And, you know, the whole movie... Uh, Totoro's been screaming from the rafters that he's been cheating. That it, it's, it's all he can do everywhere he goes. Nobody wants to listen to him. Nobody wants. The second the white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes says he he was cheating, everybody commends him. 
Everybody says, oh, thank you. You're such a brave person. You just don't see Hollywood tackle anti-Semitism this way. It's, it's either a Holocaust movie or, you know, a Schindler List. School ties. Totally. But you don't see Hollywood deal with subtle anti-Semitism, which does exist in our society. I also you know, thought it was great for tackling these huge topics in such a, like a very, you know, magnifying glass way but but it still gets away but but tackling Id- identity tackling status i can i can get behind any movie that's going to you know be an assault towards television i fucking hate tv and i have since i was 18 and just thinking it's mind control what's the main problem with america and i just thought it was really great that this movie is 1994 looking at the invention of television saying and and ending there's a quote uh, a text on the screen that says something like tv is going to get us and that was 25 fucking years ago you know uh it's certainly clear that they are out to get you in in quiz show i mean they're they're reaching through the television and using you to sell geritol and to you know give me some of that geritol give me some of that sweet sweet geritol what (laughs) god what the fuck is what is geritol no fucking thinking that i kept thinking they never even (laughs) yeah the whole yeah the whole tv show is like sponsored by geritol and you're like is it (laughs) is it is it a toothpaste cough syrup is it a ball cream it's just you know john michael i i kept thinking about this all day was I would describe Redford, you know, and I hope he doesn't want to kick me in the balls if he ever hears this. I'm sorry, Robert. Um, You once described Alexander Payne's work as geriatric, and I would describe – I felt that way when I was – in the movie theater watching The Horse Whisperer for the first time. And I, I just – I think Redford's work is a little geriatric can I, as a director. Can I tell you something? Yes, please. I was about 20 – no, maybe 30, 40 I, – I, once we got into the Rob Morrow second half of the movie, a couple times I went, Redford, you're, you're doing the Alexander Payne, buddy. You're starting to get a little geriatric. <laughs> I thought about you're starting you. to I get a little you. geriatric for me. You're getting yeah. geriatric. Well, go, go watch A River Runs Through It, and you're going to be asleep oh. within 15. The horse Whisperer, but. too, is just so, – So maybe it's a Robert – Sorry. Maybe, no offense. I think Robert no Redford's offense. aesthetic – and, you know, I, it's been years since I've seen those movies, but I think his aesthetic is just very – you know it, and I don't mean this as a slight. It just he it feels like he's making movies of his childhood from the fifties and from yeah, the sixties, and yeah. they just feel very conventional. But this one, with that said, I I I kept going like this is a textbook for sequencing. This is a textbook for like directing and and cutting. Like nothing, there wasn't really a false move, and there was some pretty elaborate stuff going on that. I, that's pretty impressive. This movie is a great conversation about a lot of really important things. And oh, like, yeah, yeah. Y- you're, you know, Redford's shining a light on, you know, especially in 1994 at the time, like things that most people hadn't shown a light on. You're, you're talking about like right, right, the, right. The, the, the role that entertainment purveyors play in day-to-day American lives. You're talking about socioeconomic things that are going on in entertainment. You're talking about, you know, race politics in a way. There's a lot going on in this movie that is very important. And that I think that that's why I said it's kind of punk rock of Robert Redford at the time. Mm -hmm, You know, this is kind of a punk rock type of choice to make for Robert Redford to make a movie basically shitting on his own, his own, Bread maker, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. The it, it, when yeah. I say bread, I mean the entertainment system as a whole. And I think it's his biggest, his biggest success too of the f- films I've seen of his. It's his best. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It's it's I I mean it's been a long time since I've seen ordinary people, but um, in spite of what I've been saying, I think it's a good film. I just I just think that if the if the second and third acts could match the strength and to 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 steal your your word the electricity of the first act, I think it could be a masterpiece, especially because it's more socially relevant than fucking Shawshank and Pulp Fiction. You know, those two movies just work because they're great stories. Yeah. You know, and this is like, there's actually some real political depth to this one. It's just not housed to me in as great of a cinematic container. I just, I think he probably misstepped, but and it wasn't even a misstep because it's successful, but yeah. he could have benefited from shaking it up, letting it breathe, letting it get dirtier. But what, what, why he reserved and stayed where he was is because he's capturing 1950s and this idea that we all have of that era. And and, and I think that kept him and locked his in. his idea, because from what I understand, right. Uh, right. Redford was uh, living in New York when this was going on in real life. So this was, a, okay. he was watching the 21 when he was a kid. So like wow. he had a very sentimental reason to make this movie. And yeah. I'm sure that's why he was drawn to it and why he felt compelled to want to tell this story. I, mm-hmm, I just right. don't think it's a great story. I, I think it's a yeah, good story. Yeah. I don't think it's a great story. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, beyond yeah, the right. moral complexity of these two characters, uh, Ray Fine's character and John Turturro having to sell their souls to the proverbial devil. Right. I don't mm-hmm. know that there's much else going on here, you know, as far yeah, as story yeah. goes. So, and I, and I, you know, sometimes when you're a director and you're a writer, like you have to choose I get why he chose to make this movie and you are ultimately tied to the story you're telling. And, you know, when you compare it to Shawshank Redemption or you compare it to Pulp Fiction, totally different movies, totally different stories, totally different aesthetics. But, um, yeah, I mean, and when we shouldn't, it's just because of the, it's just because that was such a special year in American cinema. It was, it was a a very special, I mean, look here, I, I is I think important to point out, or like I do want to point out, Quiz Show was nominated for Academy Awards. That's really good. Four Academy Awards is a lot. It was nominated for Best Picture. Okay, that's pretty good. Best Director, Robert Redford was nominated for Best Director. Best mm-hmm. Actor in a Supporting Role for Paul Schofield, who plays the father of uh, Ray Fiennes' character in this movie, who... Mm. Oh no shit. Yeah, Brit- really? Paul Schofield was nominated for a best he was supporting actor. And I mean he if you know if you if you know Schofield, he's like a English actor from the fifties. He was wait a minute. Mm. He was nominated and Tutura wasn't. Tutura was not. Whoa, 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 I'll get there. There's What the fuck? I'll get there because there's more. It was also nominated for Best Atap- Adapted Screenplay. Okay, so it was nominated for a Best Movie, Best Director, Best Acting, and Best Screenplay. And it didn't win any of them. Uh that year, this was nineteen ninety five. Uh, you know, February 1995, Forrest Gump wins Best Picture. Um, I think that's a joke. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think it's a joke. I, I don't, I don't agree with I, that. I, I yeah, think I if you went back that. in history right now, we would all agree that Pulp Fiction was the best movie of that year. I Shawshank or Bet Shawshank or Shawshank for me. What, I think Pulp Fiction is underneath. I think those it. are yeah. debatable, but I think we both, yeah. we all agree that Pulp Fiction and Shawshank are a better movie than, than Forrest Gump, right? Way better. I think. Way, I way, think we absolutely. just. I, I think we have to acknowledge that this is the Academy that still says yeah, Green yeah, yeah. Book is a good yeah. movie. You know, it's like we just yeah, yeah, just yeah. fuck just fuck this status. Yeah, yeah, Best yeah. director goes to Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump, which I also think is a joke. I, I yeah. think out of yeah. all those, like you can give Darabont a nod for. I'm not a fanboy. Oh. I'm not just a fanboy of Pulp Fiction, but I think Tarantino was the most 
that yeah. movie and his direction is iconic now. And no, I it think is. it is. I would say Shawshank is picture and Tarantino should be. I direct. could go with that. Again, Martin Scorsese yeah. is one of the best directors ever. It took him. I don't even know if he has one yet. You know, it's this is a this is a rig system that is based on bad movies. Absolutely. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's funny. We do all. Uh, it seems like we all universally agree on quiz show. Um, I think Zach likes it a little bit more. I think Zach. I, I think Zach's giving it credit where credit is due, and that's like yeah. it has its place in cinema history. Uh, and you know, it he's not wrong. It's because it doesn't really misstep. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, jumping right into what we would rate it. That's why I, I gave it three and a half. And and, I, and this is what I said. I said there's nothing wrong with quiz show. It's finely executed. There are great performances, good writing. There is nothing that is the least bit offensive about anything in Quiz Show. But there's nothing that would elevate it into the realm of being something that burns this film into my brain. It's a Hollywood film of a bygone era. I give Redford loads of credit for being ahead of the curve in some of these conversations that Quiz Show is bringing up. But as a film, it's just a very good film, not a great film in my opinion. Yeah. I'm gonna give it to you. I would. I would get. I gave it a three, but I. But because mm. I agree, let's just give it three and a half. Okay, so we're all giving it I'll, three. And I'll, a half. I'll give it the half. Yeah, we. we yeah, I'll give it. The we've half. swayed. I, I think the thing that does the burn itself into our brains, or it, it did for me, and I, and I think it does for us as a group, is the performances. The one takeaway I will remember is Totoro, you know, and Fines, and everybody across the board, really shining as expert actors. You know, these performances are good. Yeah, and, and, and I think I, I think that's what i'll take away and i think something that you could you could shine a light on and say hey if you're a filmmaker and you want to watch this movie like there's a really really interesting thing going on here but with the the style of performances between Totoro mm. and fines and you've got these two very different stylistic types of performances and if you're a filmmaker it's a good movie to see how how you can have a yin and yang thing going on with your two leads and it can be utterly compelling mm-hmm. because both of them are yep. utterly mm-hmm. compelling in every scene yeah mm. yeah i mean like i said if 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 the first 40 minutes had been had lasted the entirety of the film is to me it would have been a great film i have a little aside that we didn't talk about and that's okay i think yeah. he should get credit for basically influencing the entire stylistic choices of the television show Mad Men. Oh, wow. Because I, I, fe- I feel like you could go back and use this as a key reference for that television totally. show. He nails the corporate, the corporate kind of fashion of, of 1950s corporate America. And, the, and yeah. it's, not, it's obviously yeah. not Madison Avenue, and it's, it's a different world, but it feels like it could swim in the same waters. You know what? I'll give it credit for, for, for something real quick. Uh, going off of that, the the usually period pieces sometimes it's like sometimes it can be a little bit off a little bit cheap i thought this was impeccable 
I thought that the production oh, design, the production was, was amazing. Success. I thought it was production was amazing. Yeah, yeah. This, it was. Yeah, yeah the cine, the terrific. cinephile in me and the, the the snob in me slightly wished the movie was black and white. But that that mm, that wow. had. I mean, that's wow. that's my. If I was directing, I would have made it black and white. And if I was directing, the the studio would have said, "Over my dead body, you're making a black and white movie." Yeah, I I uh, you guys were just just adding to and Chloe's barking in the background, but. Like, Sean, you were talking about the photography feeling like such a throwback, you know, and this isn't done anymore. I remember, like, watching it going, I want to make something that looks like this, that feels like this, that has this much, like, life in it. For however, like, locked off and controlled it was, there was something really fucking beautiful about it. I don't, I, I was kind of enamored with this whatever they any were minute doing on any camera. minute they were in the studio i was enamored i mean all of the yeah. nbc world oh yeah all of the That's anytime what, we're that in that building the... that which they do the, sh- the, cl- the shot at the very beginning of the movie where they're looking up at the kind of right. monolithic uh what's that building in new york that yeah. nbc's in they're still in it uh rockefeller, rockefeller. They, they zoom up the rockefeller building uh, anytime you're in that building, I'm, I'm in it, man. I, everything about yeah, that world yeah, yeah. is interesting to me. Now it had Magnolia vibes for too, sure, four years for prior. sure. Yeah, I was. I, yes, it totally has the Quiz Kid Donnie Smith vibes. Yeah, but then they just just close ups. Like mm-hmm. I mean, there you, you the, the photography. I just was like I. This should be the way that it's well, done. I mean, it, I don't know if it's Zach. It is the I way that it's great. I mean, it it is very classic uh, Hollywood photography. The way they're their wide shot, you know, close up, close up kind of, you know, I mean, mental- that, that's the way movies. Are- he shot a lot of Scorsese's work. Totally. I mean, he shot The Departed. He mm, shot okay. Um, okay. Age of Innocence. He shot, he shot everything from After Hours through, I mean, maybe not everything, but Did most of Scorsese's films. Yep. Yeah, shot he shot Games in New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had a I had a Blu-ray rip, and I was just like, this is fucking gorgeous. Yeah, it's a beautiful you know? movie. I just loved it is it a beautiful all. movie. It's yeah. just... And then the actors just pop. Like, everybody is really fucking... So then great, why isn't but... this movie, like, one of the best movies of all time? Like, <laughs> it's just it's not. Just not. It's just, because, it just, because of it's that... Lacking. Because of that... Yeah. Because of its structure. It just like, is very... It is, it's, it's just very predictable. It's just very by the yeah, numbers. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Right. And he wouldn't shake it up. And, and I think you'd have to really rip up the text a little to yeah. kind of go off left and right. Yeah, you and, could, and you could get... have done something really interesting where you d- dive into where these characters came from. Van Doren and... Mm. and um, what what what's uh Totoro's character's name? Uh Herb, Herb, Herb Stemple. Yeah. Stemple. Yeah. If you if you did something non nonlinear that really went into their backstories and and the whole movie took place in, in NBC and that was I the was spine of the movie, that. it would be it I was, would be way more. I was just thinking that. Is that it keeps cutting back and forth between that game show where Herb gives it up. That would you know, be great. Like, and that would be great. That's even, that would have been better. That would be great. And then at the mm. end of the movie, if you could find a way to pay off that moment where it's just emotionally huge. It's just why yeah. did mm. these characters get to this place where they were ready to sell their soul? And why, why yeah. did it matter? I mean, you get you get moments where you know Totoro's in a bad bind financially. He talks about sending his money off to a bookie, but I would be interesting to see those moments. Like to see the, to dive into that totally. world yeah. more. Because we get to see him with his wife when he's getting ready to go to the show and she's like putting his pants out and he says like, what, what, you just, what did you just sit on the yeah. pants? Like instead of ironing them or something. <laughs> it's so funny. That guy's so, so good. funny. But yeah, I think what we're saying is if you get rid of the, the, the which is no indictment of, of Rob Morrow, but if you get rid of his character mm. and the whole FBI investigation, it becomes right. a lot less stale. Right. Yeah. Becomes a lot more yep, character yep. driven. Yeah, yep. and I he agree. did a great job bringing that stuff to life. But it's it's what it was. Yeah. Rotten. yeah, 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 rotten in Denmark. Okay. <laughs>
That is a wrap on Quiz Show. Um, I feel like we won. Uh, <laughs> next week, we're going to be discussing a film that, uh, in my mind, is really important. Oh, but that's yeah. probably because it's probably because it's Italian. Uh, it has the word cinema in it, and the title ends with paradise. Uh, if you haven't figured it out right now, we're going to be discussing Cinema Paradiso. Woohoo! Uh, so tune in next week for that. I, I Actually, this is one of those films that I've always wanted to watch and that I know nothing about, and I'm really excited to kind of go in blindly. But it is such a... The title is such a big... It, 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 I've known about the title for years. Yeah. But I, I, it almost f- feels like a mythical kind of movie. It does. You're right. Yeah, Cinema Paradiso. Before we go, do you have any recommendations? Um, I've, I, I, I've got stuff. Give me something. I've got g- stuff. G- I g- mean, g- give me something. Well, I, I, I checked out Malcolm and Marie, okay. uh, which which we discussed last right. week ad nauseum, and I think it's worth people checking out. Good. I, 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 if nothing else, for the conversation of it all. The other thing that I wanted to uh, recommend, and this is a very tiny thing, but uh, Daft Punk broke up. Daft Punk is no longer a band, uh, and I, I don't know how most people feel about Daft Punk, but uh, I have a very fond place in my heart oh, for yeah. Daft Punk. Oh, yeah. I thought they wrote, I've adored them for years. Yeah, I thought they wrote some really great music. Well, they made a short film to announce their the end of their band. It's called Epilogue, and I think it's worth watching if you're a Daft Punk fan. Go out there and check that out. It's Such kind, a badass cool. way to, to, to call it quits. I mean, it's such an explosive way to end your career. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm going to say. We'll be back next week. Uh, Until then, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at PickupsPod. You can visit us at our Letterboxd. Again, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X, no E, and then a D. That's Letterboxd. Uh, You can find us there. We're at PickupsPodcast, all one word. Uh, or you can email us at pickupspodcast at gmail.com. Sean, where can they find you on the internet, uh, on the webs? At uh, good old vimeo.com forward slash Sean Harrison Jones. I just dropped a new monologue last night. Uh, please let there be another viewer besides my girlfriend on my page. Please, God. Vimeo.com forward slash Sean Harrison Jones. And I'll watch be, it. Okay, that means the world to me. There's snippets of uh, a brilliant film by Mr. John Michael Powell on there as well. Oh, wow. Uh, brilliant and my name, I don't know, belong anywhere in the same category. I think so. You can find me uh, at Instagram. I'm at John Michael underscore Powell. On Twitter, uh, you can find me at JM underscore Powell. And uh, yeah, Zach, uh, Zach actor, I don't know, find him through us. Uh, you can find him there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's it for this week. We will uh, pick it up next week. That's all she wrote. Bye, Sean. Bye. Bye. Geritol, a substance that nobody knows what the hell it is, but at 99 cents a bottle, who can pass it up? Who can pass it up? Who can pass it up?